jumping out of bed in the middle of the night, stormy weather and lashing rain, you're sometimes saying to yourself, you know, am I mad? What am I going down here again for? What keeps the lifeboat going is all voluntary contributions. And the best volunteer you've got is a lifeboat crewman. Um, not taking away from fundraiser or anything, but 3 o'clock in the morning, blowing a living gale, you lie in your bed, fast asleep, all snuggled up and warm. Five minutes later, you're going out to, could be anything, fishing boat, yacht, and it's a very rare breed of a guy or a woman that gets out of bed that hour of the morning and breaks their neck to get down to the lifeboat station to go out and save a complete stranger. That, to me, is, is just, it's just absolutely amazing. Amazing. I think you need a few screws loose. You have to be slightly off the rails to be a lifeboat man. Well, everybody is warm in their beds and the wind is screaming outside and the rain is hammering the, the glass out of the frames. You're going out there and everybody else is snug in your bed. As you're running down the roads or going out in the boat, you're thinking, you know, I must be daft to be out here. But you still do it. The real highs are when you come ashore and you think to yourself, just save somebody's life, that's nice. You'd always sort of say to yourself, God, if you having to get washed over and you're hanging on and you see your hand coming down, you know, if you look up and you see the face, you say, God, his lad's not going to let me go. And that's the kind of thing you're looking for. This particular uh, lifeboat is a time class, 47 foot long. She's launched from a slipway. Our winchman, John Sillery, will let go of the boat. There's quite a lot of noise now when the engine started up. What we've done is we've taken out the bow chains and we've take, taken out the stern chains. And what we're going to do, do now is open up the pin on the slip hook. Right, we're ready now for launching. So the uh, mechanic there will get the engines going and then we'll launch the boat down the slip. You'll hear them shouting, let her go. That's the signal. Head launcher will then let her go and she's on her way. on her way out now for her three-hour navigational exercise with seven crew on board. Perhaps people take the lifeboat for granted because it's a, it seems fully funded. A lot of people are surprised to find that it's actually volunteers from the local community. Well, the crews are great lads and girls. They come from all walks of life. Years ago, the RNLI used to draw down their crews from fishermen and seamen and dockers. And uh, we still have some fishermen and, and, and dockers on the, the crew, but not as many as before. And so we have to call on um, people from all walks of life. It could be clerks, it could be carpenters, electricians, plumbers, which we have here on our crew in Whitlock, anyone. And they join and they commit themselves to the task of life-saving. That's what it's all about. We're ready to go to sea now, so we just take everybody inside, have another count of heads, make sure we have everybody on board before we proceed. My name is Philip Ferguson, a crew member of Scary's Lifeboat. They only live about two minutes' walk from here. I'm an electrician. I've always been around boats since I was a kid. I come from a fishing background, so joining the lifeboat was just obvious for me, and I love it, and it's just part of a family thing. We always do it. 
the idea of saving people's lives and helping people out at sea, just from my experience of being out at sea. You know, it's just, just a, it was a natural thing for me to go into. Uh, Stephen Wynn, I'm the Honorary Secretary at Dunderry Lifeboat Station. Well, when I was quite young, I was in a small yacht that capsized and I got caught underneath it, which wasn't very nice. I was about 12 years of age and the lifeboat picked me up about three quarters of an hour later and transferred me in the hospital where they poured out the water. And um, I was just so impressed at that age with the lifeboat and everything about it that I applied to join when I got out of hospital and I was sent home with an apple and a toffee because I was too young. So I joined when I was about 17 or 18, I joined the crew here. And in fact, I moved to Dunleary and bought a house so I could be close to the lifeboat station. Robert Duffy, Cox and Holt Lifeboat. Myself and the brother bought a small boat. We were lobster fishing and doing a bit of trawling in around. The lifeboat was short on crew, so myself and the brother joined up and there ever since. Uh, well, George was there before me. There was actually four of us on the boat at one stage. Three of us now. My other brother had to give it up for medical reasons. My name is Mary Kenefick. I'm 31 years old. I am a crew member down here in the Dunleary lifeboat. I am from Dunleary. I work in the County Council, the Town Hall, which is about two minutes run from the station. Um, I've wanted to be on the crew for a number of years and I've now been on it for the past three years. I've wanted to join the crew for quite a long time. Um, I have a love of the sea. I don't sail, or, but I do a lot of swimming and also being from the community, I see the Ornelai as a way of putting something back into the community and doing a service for it. My name is Redmond Leonwatch, I'm second mechanic and second coxswain on Bellicott Lifeboat Crew. My father was involved in the lifeboats and his father before him were involved in the lifeboats, so it's a sort of a family tradition. Uh, we have three generations of Leonwatches on the crew. My brother Michael, he's a mechanic on the boat as well. And at one stage here, there was four of us on the crew, my four brothers, we were all on the crew here in Ballycotton, as well as my father being coxswain of the lifeboat tradition was there and you know since I've been able to, to walk I suppose basically I've been in and out of lifeboats with my father and I suppose you know it was only just natural that it was going to happen you know the sea was always there and I've been involved in fishing as well so it was kind of natural that I was going to get involved in the lifeboat as well. It's nice to go and to feel that you're doing good for somebody that you can maybe save a person's life because I'm self I'm involved in fishing as well and uh, it's nice to know that if you do get in trouble that there's somebody else there that can come out and save you. Twice I've been pulled in by the lifeboat so. It's lovely to see it coming, you know. Uh, we were a long ways off the coast, and uh, it, it just it was nice to see it coming, that you were getting help from that side. So it's it's nice to have that the security, you know, that you have a boat there like that, that can very quickly and get out you, and if you're in trouble. I've been out there, and I've needed the lifeboat, so I know that there's somebody out there that genuinely needs the lifeboat, and they're in trouble, and I know that the feeling of being out there and being tossed around in a boat, what that feels like, I mean, that'll, that'll get you up out of bed every time. Oh, and you know what it's like being out there. It looks nice, actually. <laughs> it looks the part, you know, and you know that, Jesus, that isn't going to sink or the, the lifeboat isn't going to get into trouble. And, you know, and if you're there, there's a life jacket on you and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Or is your boat going to sink? And it really does. You know, at least you know if you fall into the water there and then, they'll pick you up and you're actually going to see the pier again. Larry, I'll be doubling. Go ahead. The main thing I love about being on it is when you operate a service, especially where you rescue somebody. And it's a great feeling that you know you've saved somebody or you've brought somebody home safely to their family. Um, it's also the team element, the, the fun and the, the fact that you just feel you're doing something good 
that's what makes the difference to me anyway. Highs are definitely rare, they're very rare occasions when you hand and heart know that what you've just been out doing genuinely saved a life, that somebody was in the process of dying or about to die very shortly if it wasn't for you and the crew that was there. And I think probably it's only happened to me about five or six times. So they'd be the highs, but the, the real highs are when you come ashore and you think to yourself, just just save somebody's life, that's nice. It's very private, you don't go shouting about it. But um, shouting about it now, maybe that's not the not the sort of thing that we talk about very often, but it's nice to be able to say that you did that. I suppose a difficult question to answer, but when you say, what, what do we get out of it or what are the rewards associated with being a, a lifeboat crew member? Um, for me, it's quite selfish, and it probably is because I like going to sea in boats, and I like the idea of being out there in the open water. And the, the natural benefit of doing it associated with the Lifeboat Institution is that uh, you do something good while you're there as well. Uh, I like the feel of the boats, the equipment itself. The, the Urnal Eye has a, a superb fleet of lifeboats, and as equipment goes, it's probably the best in the world. And, of course, there is a, there's a great satisfaction in going out there and doing a job and bringing somebody back and um, bringing them to, a, a, I suppose, a safe haven, especially when they tend to come from circumstances that not, or may not be that comfortable. I have to say, you get a buzz out of the equipment we have is capable of taking the bad weather. I mean, it's, it's like going out on the, the world's best roller coaster sometimes. Once you can hold your stomach together, you're, you're OK. You do get a great buzz out of it because every call is different. Different weather, different localities and things like that. You know, you'd have a good shot of adrenaline in you and you'd be, you'd be sort of pumped up. Uh, and you just do your best and try not to hurt anybody and try not to damage a boat, get it back in in one piece. Carlingford, Dublin, Wilterhead, Rossair and Minehead Coast Guard radios. Sea area forecast followed until 0600 hours. Wind south to southwest force 5 or 6. Occasionally force 7 on the north coast. Visibility mostly moderate. Occasionally. We do get rough weather. Southeasterly weather down here can be quite rough. Northeasterly on the eastern seaboard here. Interestingly enough, and if you talk to most lifeboat guys, weather doesn't seem to feature on difficulty. We, we would relish weather and, and difficult weather because we're trying to stress ourselves, if you like, and see it will handle. And, and as yet, it, it's very rare you would come up against circumstances of weather um, that would 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 either frighten you or at least propose uh, any sort of excessive difficulty. The boats are very well equipped and very strong and very manoeuvrable. So unless we get a gross mechanical failure, we shouldn't really get ourselves into circumstances that would cause us grave concern. Tonight's a navigation exercise, so we're just going to try and pick out a few points along the coast, maybe a few points out at sea, and uh, have each guy having a turn on on the chart table. The more you practice, the quicker you get at it, so that's why we do this sort of stuff. Somebody once said to me that you don't have to be mad, but it does help greatly. Um, And it's very true, because we get people who join to be crew members, and within a very short period of time, they realise, no, this isn't for me. If you suffer from anything in line with claustrophobia, seasickness, or any of uh, element uh, that that you feel confinement or even anything like that, you won't stake it. It's as simple as that. Um, 
when you get into a lifeboat in rough weather and you're strapped in and you're harnessed in and the hatches are closed um, and I mean water is coming at you from all angles if that bothers you um, very quickly you'll realise it's not for you very very quickly and then uh, obviously they have to be capable of operating in that circumstance as well navigating using radars first aid equipment or whatever other is required out there it's not necessary just to be able to hold on you need to be able to do something when you get out there as well as you can see, we put everybody on, onto a job here. So um, Liam is just learning about the radar. Brendan is giving him a once-over on that. James is taking the boat on the helm. Vincent is working the char table. And Kieran is doing all his mechanical checks for the engines and stuff like that. And we'll just run like that all through the exercise. We'll change over positions so that everybody is doing something at all times. Ambulance calls, you get first aid calls, people who would be injured on board trawlers, fellas losing a finger or something like that. We've rescued dogs, we've rescued cows, we've rescued rafts, tree trunks. Uh, you'd get the animal down off the rocks. Cars, motorbikes. Yachts that might um, overturn on breaking masts, you go to that. You get called out to lightning a lot as well, people think it's flares. It could be anything, any manner of thing out there you could be sent out for, you know. Anywhere where life is in danger and they call for help, we will go. We're just coming up to Six Mile Point, which is, uh, which is approximately five miles north of Wicklow Harbour. This is the flying bridge. This boat can be manoeuvred and driven from two locations. You have the wheelhouse location and the flying bridge. And you have duplicate controls here for both steering and then the moors for engine controls. You would have to be out here when closing on a casualty because you get much better visibility as to what's going on around you. Everything on the deck has to be tightly secured. You can see even today it is reasonably calm, but it's quite wet up here. When she's out in heavy weather, it gets extremely wet up here and you get water and seas breaking over the top of it. So everything has to be tied down. We rescued five fishermen off a trawler in Lambay Island. One morning the trawler was coming into Hout and the person at the wheel fell asleep. Missed the harbour and he went on down, he ran up on the rocks on uh, Lamb Bay. So uh, it was a nasty enough morning. We took us 15, I think it was 15 attempts to take the five lads off. Because of where she was, there was only a small bit of her sticking out between the rocks. And there was rocks on either side of her and there was lots of pot floats in the water. So it was it was tricky enough. And it was after being... Uh, a gale of southeast wind the day before, so there was a big swell going in. And when we were in alongside her, the uh, the sea was breaking over the trawler, breaking over the lifeboat, and they were shouting at us to get them off in a hurry. And so uh, we went in and we done the job. And, and there's another guy we picked up off a windsurfer south of Brutus, and the conditions were nasty. And his wife rang in to say that he, you know, he's lying out in the board and he couldn't get in. But when we went down south of the head, it was very lumpy, and the two boats went down and picked him up, and he was severely hypothermic. So when we got him in, got him in the ambulance, and he was in hospital for a couple of days, and we had his surfboard here and rang him up and said he wanted to come and collect his surfboard, and he said he never wants to see it again. So he said he, he remembers at the time he could hear the boat, but he couldn't. He didn't have the energy even to lift his hand, and what kept him going was the fact that he could hear the boat, otherwise he'd have slipped off, but he was, he was that, that bad. Like Memorable services that we've done... One that sticks out is when we were actually out on the inshore lifeboat for a relatively routine call. There were two people on board a yacht that had gone up on the sandbank uh, just off Sandymount. We went out, we were just getting a tow line on. 
when the Coast Guard passed a message to us to say that there was a man drowning about a mile and a half from our position and instructed us to release the tow. We had a crew member on board the, on board the casualty boat, left him there, dumped the tow, went straight over it, started searching. We saw the man immediately and he was up to his head in water and with every wave that came by he was actually taking mouthfuls of water and in fact he was drowning before us as we arrived. You could actually see him drowning and we were able to go up, get him straight into the boat and he was that cold, he was that far into the whole process that uh, his whole body wasn't just shivering, it was in a single spasm and you could see how bad he was. And we headed straight in for the shore and we called for the Coast Guard helicopter to meet us at the beach and as we got closer to the beach, we ran out of water, so we had to dump the boat and lift the man out of the boat and carry him through the water. And there were just two of us. And uh, walking through water and carrying somebody is pretty arduous, and we had about a quarter of a mile to half a mile to go, and the man was in a pretty bad way, and he was actually still, he had a lot of water taken, and he was frothing at the mouth, all the things associated with drowning. We had to stop a couple of times to get him breathing properly again and then get him in. The helicopter landed, put him onto the helicopter and on the way to hospital and survived. The actual experience of seeing somebody that close to death and then turning the situation around was probably one of the highlights so far. Well, here we are outside the mouth of um, Dunleary Harbour with a, we're on board the offshore lifeboat, the Anna Livia, and the inshore lifeboat is alongside us. And coming over the Bailey Lighthouse at the moment is the rescue helicopter 116 that we're going to be forming up with to do the exercise. They should be here in under two minutes, I would say. Well, what we'll be doing is the Coast Guard will be, the helicopter will be positioning itself overhead the lifeboat. We'll continue on a steady course and speed and they'll drop a winchman down onto the deck of the lifeboat, maybe recover a lifeboat crew member to bring up to the helicopter and probably repeat the exercise. And as we look ahead now, we have got the rescue helicopter who's just beginning to form up and coming in over the bow of the lifeboat as he's completing his first pass and heading out towards the sea again. He'll come back around again and then form up on our stern before he drops his winchman down to us. Well, the lifeboat's just assuming a course now, 130, into the, into the wind. The helicopter you can hear in the background is moving closer and closer to the boat until it's hovering directly overhead. Well, the, life, the helicopter is now directly overhead. The windman is coming down on the wire and should be on the after deck very, very shortly. It's very noisy, very hard to have communication when there's so much rotor noise from the helicopter. Quite often we'll use headphones when we're talking to the helicopter, because otherwise communication will be impossible. The winchman is now on the deck. The helicopter is maintaining its position and setting down the wire again to lift up the winchman and another crew member. I think the worst one we had was uh, trawling it up on the, the East Pier here. Well, it started out with a fishing boat coming into Houth. He got into difficulty at the back of the East Pier. The boat ended up on the breakwater in very bad conditions. It was onshore wind. 
and he was in so close we couldn't get in alongside him on the lifeboat if the trawler was out a bit more from the rocks. We couldn't get to him from the seaward side because of the bad weather so we brought the lifeboat back into the harbour. Four of us got onto the key wall and tried to get to the lads. Well, we, we knew we couldn't get to them but we tried to get line to them, a rope to them so we could assist them up the back of the wall but there was too much wind and we couldn't get rope to them and we were using rocket lines, a rocket on the end of a line and the wind was so strong it was blowing the lines away from them and we basically couldn't do it for them. The sea was breaking over the seawall and they were within feet of the lads and the trawler and it was blowing so hard that the wind was blowing back our rocket lines and we couldn't throw our ropes down to them and some of the lads got washed off the top of the East Pier. We were on the key wall. The sea was coming, the waves were coming in over the trawler, over the trawler, over us on the key wall and we were basically submerged. And all you could do was watch the boat break up. When we were on the key, the four of us that were on the key wall, the guys on the boat were watching the debris coming over the wall. The planks of the fishing boat, all fishing boats are wooden boats are nailed together, and these planks were coming over the wall, and bits of timber like porcupines with all the nails stick in them, and we were just, we were just very very lucky that we didn't come in contact with any of the with any of the debris coming over the wall. Yeah, lucky enough, there were no no uh, bones were broken or anything like that, but the trailer broke up. And there was only one of the crew lost. The rest of them got uh, washed into the sea and they were picked up by uh, people up on the rocks. As the boat broke up, it moved up along the wall. And as it broke up, the the lads, I think it was four of them, got washed out of the wheelhouse. And one guy stayed with the boat, was able to hold on to it. And he was actually lifted off by an RAF helicopter which came over from Valley in Wales. Um, one of them held on to the wheelhouse and... Uh, at the time, we'd no rescue helicopter on the east coast, so uh, an RAF helicopter picked your man up. He went down, put the strap around him, and literally had to pull him off because he was so scared, he was holding on so tight. And the other three or four guys, they ended up on the rocks at the back of the wall. I think it was three. Two of them survived, and the, the, the skipper didn't make it. The skipper died. I remember when the lads were up on the pier wall, I was uh, on the lifeboat with another lad just keeping an eye on her. And I was speaking... To the skipper of the boat, I knew him fairly well from working on the pier, talking to him and that. And, uh, you know, he was yakking away, he wasn't panicky or anything like that because he thought that we were going to get him. And as uh, he was speaking, his uh, radio went dead and that was that. He was the person that was lost. He uh, he helped the lads get the life jackets on and pushed him out to the wheelhouse door. And I think he, he was a bit heavier than the, the other chaps and he just couldn't get out. I don't know what happened in the end, but he just... He got washed into the sea and got washed up onto the rocks and that was it. Well, there's another incident around here as well where there was four uh, fishery officers drowned, which is very sad, uh, just very close here to Ballycotton, about a mile and a half from the shore here. There was one survivor picked up here in the bay, but unfortunately the, the, we picked up four bodies and you always hope that you'll be able to get somebody alive. It's not nice to when you have a bad result. They were basically out on a patrol and they started to pull in a net or something like that and the, the boat was very small and they got swamped. The boat just filled with water and it sunk. They were in the water for a long time. There was one chap survived. He had a, a dry suit on which kept him warm and there was just one survivor out of five, you know, so it was a pretty bad day that was. That one was that um, was pretty traumatic, that one was. Um, you know, it's it's always tough, you know, maybe you pick up one body but you have actually four uh, Paddy's on board. It's you know it's tough enough to deal with it. You know, you, a couple of days I suppose again, and you know so you start to get over it again. But you know to see it like that, close hand, it brings home to the danger of the sea.
points would be probably if you're ever involved in a rescue where it's somebody that you know or a friend of yours and then it's, it's not the nicest it has happened to me actually with a guy I used to fish in in Castletown Bear before he was drowned in um, Monkstown and I spent the day up to her and I only found out after the day that it was him it was only that I saw somebody that looked exactly like him crying on the pier and I realised you know jeez that's his brother you know so it was kind of um, shocking alright you know you just have to deal with it yourself and say you, you done the, you, at least you were there and you done you know it's be a lot worse if you're just standing around on the, the road looking out doing nothing you know the worst one with a lot of the lads is when they pick up their first body. It's uh, very nerve-wracking and it can take a while for it to go away. Sometimes when you go out and you have to perhaps do something maybe not very pleasant, like bring in uh, dead bodies, that sort of thing, at first that took a bit of getting used to. And then after a while you realise that even though the person has died or from whatever cause, that you're actually doing a service to the to the family and that's that's good in its own way it's very sad but you're still giving the family something so you're still extracting something good from it obviously anything that involves fatalities are difficult um, and that is probably the most difficult thing you will face and it tends to be in cases where somebody may have been in the water a long time um, which can be difficult in itself to even the mechanics of trying to get somebody out of the water in those circumstances are quite difficult at first I found the thought of going out for a dead body, terrifying. We'd heard so many stories from the old crew, and there's a bit of banter. But when you actually go out to do it, it's very, very scary. It's the lack of knowledge. And then after your first couple of experiences, it's not that you become used to it. They're all There's always a certain nervousness, but you learn to anticipate what to expect, what to do, how to prepare for it. Nervous of the unknown when you go out to recover casualties like that it's the unknown it's the surprise it's the shock nerves um, butterflies whatever you call it are good to an extent because they keep you on a high they keep your adrenaline flowing and they keep your senses keen because uh, any of that, those circumstances you should never go into in a casual sense people tend to drown tend to die in difficult circumstances it's very rare it's in calm water and good visibility and very easy to get it. They're always in difficult circumstances, so you need to be very aware of that. Obviously, the low points would be when you recover somebody that isn't alive. That has happened like now and again, but generally, the majority of people you recover are they're well and healthy. You have to take the good with the bad, you know, so we're just glad that we can help the family that people have died, that at least they have something to bury, but the majority of the time, it's, it's, it's good, you know, so... I can only try and imagine it must be very, very hard for um, for people who lose somebody at sea and the body's not recovered. I mean, if you die on shore, you're, you're buried and there's a grave there to, to grieve at. But anybody, people lost at sea and the body's never been recovered, it must be very, very hard for them. hobbies of scuba diving and I've been involved both in removal of bodies from scuba diving and with the lifeboat so I've seen enough of it um, for it, uh, me to realise it's not something I relish or would look forward to do I get used with? No, never um, the last search I did for a body was about a month ago um, and I still get the, the feeling in my stomach every time I go into the water to do it 
Um, it's not something I particularly like. It's one of these things that has to be done, and especially when you would arrive on scene after a drowning or something like that, and there's family standing around. Um, and that's really why you would do it. You realise what, whatever feelings you, you have, obviously the family's feelings are much more severe and uh, much more difficult to deal with. So the, the small bit of uncomfortableness that we would feel doing it we have a man overboard in the water that means somebody is one of our own crew members has fallen out of the boat there's various maneuvers to do one particular one is called a williamson turn and that's where you can if you you know he's gone overboard you know the track you come at and you can go back on the reciprocal track that you actually came on so what they're doing now is the man is in the water he's just coming up alongside now and they're going to recover him via the scramble net on the boat itself the water temperature at the moment is about uh but 16 degrees centigrade, so it's not too bad. He'd survive in it for a while. Wintertime temperatures are about 5 degrees, and it would have to be gotten out of water fairly quick. Once our pager goes off or we go out on the boat, your, your training takes over. So you just, you just switch on to what you've been trying to do, and we're all trying to deal with like casualties and like obviously deceased people as well. Like, so we just try and do our best with it, you know? I don't find it's hard to get over situations like that, and I find that... It's you're going out, you're doing a job, and when you've done the job, the sadness is with another family. You've you've done a just and you've brought an element of it back to them. You've given them something to to mourn or something to to bury, so to speak. So in in one way, I feel I'm I'm doing something good for them. So it's not it's not particularly sad. It's 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 easy to get over. I find any bad incidents we have to deal with. I mean, once you walk out of the station, you try and put it out of your mind. You just have to get on with your life. You can't dwell on on them especially loss of life we have counselling and if we need it like all the rescue services but basically when the crew are after anything like that the crew will just discuss it among themselves and any sort of grief or anxiety that is that's there during it it's got rid of I suppose um, like any group of individuals um, be it a male female or whatever we uh, we have to sort of bond to an extent because we have to work in circumstances that are difficult at the best of times. So we do need a good sense of camaraderie and teamwork and we tend to socialise together as a group of individuals and it would tend to be an informal thing after a service if time permits and it's not too late at night we go for a pint and use that as an unwinding and often especially when services are difficult and more especially when there's fatalities involved it's a very good way to I suppose relieve some of the tension allows people an informal time a bit of informal sense of communications and some of us that maybe have experienced the, the more harrowing side of it over the years then can bring along and assist the people who haven't it's good, I think, for the older guys to try and, you know, bring on board and allow the younger people, or not necessarily younger, but at least newer at it, to, to, to discuss and talk a little bit as well. So that is very useful, even though the institution does have a counselling services for difficult services. Um, I think the camaraderie that you build up within your own crew is, 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 is just, if not better, more beneficial in those circumstances. It's like a big family now. Like, we constantly... There's never any arguments or... We'd always just come out and have a bit of crack down training and then every so often we'd meet up. If we have any fundraising deals around, we'd all meet up and have a few beers and talk about what we're going to do next or fundraising and training and just constantly trying to update our training. It's just it's, it's like just one big family, like really, it's great. The bond you have, you just know you can talk to them about anything really, any problems that come up. 
because that's the kind of bond you need to succeed down here. The guys who are around for the last couple of years, are you, you put your life in their hands, no problem. When you actually get to a stage where you can trust people with your life, it's it's great, and, and that crosses a lot of boundaries and problems, and you overcome problems, and you can speak to the guys about certain things you probably wouldn't even speak to your family about, and you've great trust in them. You know, you'd always sort of say to yourself, God, if you happen to get washed over and you're hanging on and you see your hand coming down. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming tonight. These sort of occasions are usually to say farewell to crew who are retiring, but really tonight it's more appropriate to mark the halfway stage in the career of two lifeboat crew uh, who've given a lot to Dunleary Lifeboat Station. Certified a business crocodile, served at the helms and a crew member of the Dunleary Lifeboats for a total of 17 years and one month, during which period the lifeboats rescued 126 lives from shipwreck. It's an amazing commitment, and the community should recognise the commitment and dedication of the volunteers. The voluntary thing isn't always appreciated. Sometimes people do forget, I think, that you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, just when somebody's got to bed, they sometimes are hauled back out again. We're in the crew room now where we change our gear. The way we work for call-out is we have pagers and maroons. Our pagers go off and they tell us it's a lifeboat call-out and basically get to the lifeboat station as fast as you can. And there's also maroons fired, what they are as rockets, and they're to someone's crew as well. You basically come down, you take off your shoes or whatever, and you put on your boots, your eye skins, and your life jacket. The life jacket is the most essential part because if you get into the water yourself, the life jacket inflates automatically. On the life jacket you also have two flares that if you need to call for help yourself after going overboard or any situation arises, that you can. And you also have safety clips for clipping yourself in and out to the lifeboat in bad weather. And there's harnesses then that if you have to be lifted... The rest of the gear is oilskins, which are to keep you dry and warm and a bed nice. And you also have safety helmets to protect your head that if you hit weather or anything. That's basically the rundown of the main gear you'd have. Not all lifeboat calls are life and death matters. A lot of it is fairly routine stuff of towing in people who have broken down. But the crew, when they're paged, never know what they're going out to. I suppose the adrenaline kicks in, which means that other things are put to one side the crew will be focused once they hear the pagers go off, whether it's flat calm or whether it's a storm. It's very much a case of when a lifeboat is called, you drop what you're doing, you go out, you do whatever it is you have to do, come back, put the lifeboat away, make it ready for service, and everything goes back to normal. You come home, you go back to your whatever you were doing before you went out, you go back to your own life, and that's it. The lifeboat tends to, after the first couple of years, it tends to get into your blood, or it doesn't, and if it doesn't, you probably move on. And really, after a couple of years, you probably find yourself parking your car in a particular way so that it's ready for the next shout, or you'd be conscious of how much you socialise or how much you drink. It does become part of your life, and people who are close to you have to, or they learn to, accept that. But it, is, it isn't always easy. Yeah, I think one of the, the major factors down here that tends to be forgotten about is the families, the, the other side of us, the people, we, the people that are at home, like wives and kids and husbands if there's girls here and that like they 
put up with an awful lot. I mean, we, we're the ones that are able to get to go to see, and they're just waiting to see when we come back in the door. I think it's worse for those people not actually knowing what's happening out there. It'd be responsibility to people that you have on your boat. It never happened to any of them. You'd have to come in and see their families, wives, and that's so, you know, that's always in the back of the mind. My family are fantastic. They're great. They love it. Even the young fellow comes down and he nearly knows everything on the little boat. So, you know, might be the next generation coming along. We're just uh, getting ourselves ready to go back onto the slip. So it's important we clear the decks of all ropes and, and fenders and stuff like that. And only have essential ropes out that we need to go out to actually put ourselves back on the slip. I don't want to paint a picture that uh, we're some sort of do-gooders. We do it because we like doing it and we get a kick out of it. How easy is it to get up in the middle of the night? Well... If it's something that you enjoy doing, um, and all the lifeboat crew do enjoy doing the job they do, well, then there's no problem at all getting up. It can sometimes be a bit of a problem getting up to go to work later on in the day. You know, jumping out of bed in the middle of the night, stormy weather and lashing rain, you're sometimes saying to yourself, you know, am I mad? What am I going down here again for? But if I wasn't doing it, someone else would be doing it, so you'd miss out big time. Sometimes you wish you were a farmer, especially in bad weather and... Some of the calls you know before you go that there's there's nothing there and it's a hoax or a false alarm, but you have to go. And as you say, in bad weather, you just sometimes you wish you were elsewhere. I think you need a few screws loose. You have to be slightly off the rails to be a lifeboat man. The wind is screaming outside and the rain is hammering the, the glass out of the frames. You're going out there and everybody else is snug in your bed. As you're running down the road or going out in the boat, you're thinking... You know, I must be daft to be out here. But you still do it. It's like uh, anybody that's connected with the sea, fishermen, seamen, it's it, it, it's something that's in the blood. Once it gets into it, you can't get it out. Lifeboat, this boat has mobile, over. Uh, lifeboat mobile, this is uh, lifeboat, over. Uh, we go lifeboat, uh, you have to come in onto the slip, over. Mobile uh, Lifeboat, yeah, we're on our way in, over. Roger that, we're standing by. Roger. Uh, Wicklow Head Coast Guard Radio, Wicklow Head Coast Guard Radio, Wicklow Lifeboat, Wicklow Lifeboat, over. Uh, Lifeboat, uh, Wicklow Head Coast Guard Radio. Uh, Wicklow Head Coast Guard Radio, Wicklow Lifeboat, just wish to advise you, we have now completed our exercise and returning to station, over. Okay, many thanks for that now, and uh, have a good night. Uh, Wicklow Lifeboat, have a good watch, uh, listening 16 out. It's no place for the weak-hearted. It's the brave-hearted that really last the longest on lifeboats. The brave-hearted, the committed, the sincere guys that really want to be there to help others, and that's what it's all about, that big hefty hand going over the side of the lifeboat and saving the guy that's in the, in the water. They are, if you like, sea angels in one sense. Uh, tough, tough, tough people, which have to be tough, because, uh, as I said, you never know when you're called out, day or night, winter, summer, autumn. When the bell rings, you got to go. I don't think there really isn't any lows because, uh, in my opinion, like if you if you spend 20 years down here and you save one life, it's worth it. I suppose you have to use a motto that the Air Corps Rescue Services use their helicopter guys. We do it so that others can live. And as I said, I I'm always out around boats, small boats, whatever, and 
I would like to know that if anything happened to me, the boys would come after me. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.